God damn it, really? Hey, everybody, welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. All right. Er- hey. All right. Bye bye. So, what if our what if our show we had the only podcast that was five seconds or shorter, <laughs> and we called it the I'm Okay You're uh, Over. I do like the concept of like really actually doing the work, like putting the episodes out, and it's just like, hey, welcome to episode 127. Bye. <laughs> and then just all the episodes are that. <laughs> This is pretty good. I bet we would get listeners because people just want to keep checking it out to see if anything will be different. Yeah, we'd we'd have low Patreon numbers. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess people would be like, like, "Oh, that's funny," but I'm not giving these guys even a penny. Oh, hey, you know, a bunch of cool things have happened though. I keep meaning to mention this because we are way beyond this. But very recently, we cracked. Um, we we're over a hundred thousand downloads. Oh wow! Which is pretty cool. I mean, that's a pretty so cool milestone. Thousand people have listened to our podcast now. No, that is not not what that means. We have oh, over, what does it mean? We have over a hundred episodes. A lot of those people have listened to all the episodes, and some people listen to them more than once. Um, we have thousands of listeners, unique listeners, but that hundred thousand downloads means these episodes have been listened to that many times. Wow. It's hard to fathom, isn't it? I can pull up the exact number here. Let me pull up the exact number since we're we're already here and we're talking about it. We may as well get it right. Let me guess the number before you pull it up. Okay. 107,240. Dude, if I get this right, I am going to shit in my pants. It's 109,175. Dude, that's close enough for me to start shitting myself. Well, thanks to everyone out there who listens. It's really cool. And then we've also got... Uh, 209 positive iTunes reviews. That's great. So that's If you awesome. haven't done that, by the way, please do it, because it really does help. Uh, you know what I've noticed recently is that these comedians who have their podcasts, they're not funny. No. It's so weird. Like, be funny. Yeah, I agree. A lot of them don't have a personality. It's so weird. Comedy is a strange industry. I tell you what, it was a pretty good podcast I listened to recently is the Joe Rogan interview with Colin Quinn, who I've never really thought was very funny. Dude, Colin Quinn is easily one of the funniest guys in the world. Well, here's what I know about him, though. I know that a lot of funny people really respect him just because he has put in his fucking time in comedy. And he's generally considered by really funny people to be super funny. So I, well, he's he's one of those guys that's really funny in real life, right? And and I think he was lazy early on in his comedy specials. I never liked any of his comedy specials until the last three, but the last three are amazing. Well, it was just so interesting hearing them talk about the world of comedy. They 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 framed it in this. It's a long interview. It's like three hours, but they framed it in a way where you really feel like you get a sense of the rhythm of that industry, and it's. It's wild, man. You you talked about some of these comedians are empty, and it's like, I think actors can be like this too, where you almost have to have this emptying. I wonder if you feel this way as a performer, but you almost have to have this emptying mechanism to do that job at a certain level. Well, I think, all right, let's go to the University of Bob Schneider. <laughs> oh, are you ready? I can't okay. wait. Classes, classes in session. Okay. Ding, ding, the bell. Bell just rang. Okay, today we're going to be talking about actors versus 
musicians versus comedians. So I think if to be the greatest actor in the world, you have to almost be, you almost have to be like an empty vessel as a person. Like you almost have to be empty inside so you can fill up the inside of you with whatever character you're playing. And then you can do it. The The more you can fill up yourself with this character, the better you're going to be as an actor. Now, to write songs, to be a songwriter, it's like the opposite. You have to be full of stuff for you to be able to condense all of this information that you've acquired about the world and who you are and squeeze it through your subconscious and out come songs. So there's no room uh, to put a character in there. So like most actors when they, I mean, most musicians when they try to act pretty bad, unless they're acting like themselves. But you've described singing in a way as almost being in character. Right. But you, but you are the character. It's you, you're creating you're you're creating the character. It's not some other person that's inside you. Now with comedians, I think comedians like there's something like really wrong with comedians. Like they have to like somebody didn't love them uh, at some point, or something was terribly wrong, and they had to figure they they figured out the the best remedy or the the only solution is to be funny. And if I'm not funny, I'm gonna die. And then at some point they get into comedy and they realize hanging out with other comedians, there's this thing that they do where if they try to be funny around other comedians, it's like this weird, it's like bad taste. Like it's in poor taste if you're trying to tell jokes to other comedians. Like comedians hate it when you are trying to be funny around them. I know a few comedians and I'll try to be funny around them, like, and they just, it, it's so annoying to them. They hate it. One of the things that, that they talk about on Joe Rogan's podcast with Colin is they're like, you could be at the, the cellar or the comedy store, you know, these big clubs where they work out a lot of the material, even after they become successful, this is where they all hang out. So he, they're like you early in your career, you have to be at the store watching someone kill. So Eddie Murphy just hopped up to kill and you have to be crazy enough to be back there thinking, I could do better than that. Right. They're like, if you don't have that thing, and they're like, it's insane. Because you have to have it with the open mic guy, and you have to have it with Eddie Murphy in 1988. And they're like, if you don't have that thing, you're not going to be here for the long haul. Because I think what they respect a lot about Colin, a lot of these guys, you hear, and even Marin to a degree, even though I think he's a bullshit artist, is they've just been in it for like two decades. And I think that there's a a huge level of respect in that industry for people who can survive that long. Well, that's the way I feel about my songwriting. Like you can put, and I don't care who you put up Paul Simon, put up who the fuck, I don't know. Who's the greatest living songwriter. Bob, Bob, Dylan. Bob Dylan, for sure. Put him up there. I will follow Bob Dylan and I will fuck him up. <laughs> like I'm not even concerned, dude. I'm like, Oh, Bob Dylan, play your best fucking song. I'll come up and smash you over the fucking head with the next three songs that I play. What's the first. Okay. So let's say you're doing a, uh, uh, in the round with Dylan and he plays Mr. Tambourine, man, probably one, probably the greatest song ever written. What are you, what are you playing? What's on the set list? Probably Mr. Poops. <laughs>
Oh, I'm not doubting for one second that you don't have a song called Mr. Poops. I'm Mr. Poops. I've got the electric gaze. I'm Mr. Poop. I've been around a thousand days. They say the proof's in the pudding. I say the proof's in my pants. I can prove it, baby. If you give me a chance, I'm Mr. Poops. I like to bring. Dude, of course I do have a song called Mr. Poops, and it's pretty good. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't know what I, but I'm going to, I'm not, I have that thing. I have that thing where, and yeah. I've always had, you have to, I've always thought that I was the, this rock star with this great ability, this great creative ability. I've never doubted myself. And every time I've looked back at any point in my career, I look back and I go, wow, I wasn't very good. Right. And I've gotten better Yeah, and I've gotten better and better throughout my career Mm -hmm. kind of i think the way colin quinn has gotten better and better throughout his career um he's as good as it gets now i don't have you seen the last couple specials that he's done they're fantastic i until this exact interview which i I just very recently listened to i have had no interest but now that i heard that combo i'm like i've got i became interested in his work for sure and he well, he's he talk- gotten really political. Well, he said one of his specials was almost like a one man show. I don't know if that's one of the ones you've seen. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like a theme. It's to t- it's, like, it's a- like the history of America. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's that c- that's got to be hard to pull off. Another thing he says that I think is ties into what we're saying is he's like he's like what he loves about comedy is how refining it is when you're on stage. He's like when you're on stage, it doesn't matter if you were on SNL or if you're famous or if you're nobody. It's like a total meritocracy where you have to get the laugh. And he's like, dude, he's like being on stage. He's like, I've been in this industry forever. I don't really get rattled. But anytime I'm on stage, it's like a wave is hitting you. And are you going to drown or not? And he's like, that's just what I love about it. And you have to have that. Like, because I have the thing you're talking about, not as a songwriter, as much a performing songwriter. I will stand behind any, any songs that I write. I'll put them up against whatever. But in terms of like playing if I if I'm side stage and I got a guitar and Eddie Van Halen's on stage, I want my chance at bat. Yeah, and there are people who want the ball, you know. Right. The, the, we, right. This talk, they're talking about this in basketball a lot with these basketball stars. They're star players, right? They're the ones with the big deals and they make magic happen. But some of them don't want the fucking ball. And when it comes clutch time, you can see them not trying to get the ball. And then there are players like MJ and many others. Michael J- Michael Jordan wants the ball. He wants the ball. All the time, and he he does. It doesn't matter. If oh, there's, there's one, one. There's one second left. No there's only one shot. Give he it won't. to me. And 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 if you're if the coach is calling a play that doesn't give him the ball, he's mad. Whereas there are other players who the coach calls some kind of weird play that the other team's not expecting, and they're not going to give the star the ball, and that star's secretly relieved. And I'm like, fuck that. Well, there's there is a weird thing about musicians. There's musicians who get better on stage and. They're musicians who are better at practice, hmm. and you don't you don't know what they are. Like I've played with guys who, in practice, are some of the best guys I've ever played with. And you get on stage, and they just suck. Yeah, isn't that weird? And then there's some people that you get on you get into the rehearsal room, and you're like, "Why did I hire this guy again? Why is why am I playing with this person?" And then they get on stage, and all of a sudden, they 
come out of this cocoon and become like a butterfly. And I only know this because I do the orchestra, you know, the Moonlight Orchestra every year. Where, where you have, have guests, yeah. Where I have guests and yeah. people that I don't normally play with. And it happens every time. Every year, there's somebody that like in the rehearsal, I'm like, mm, I don't know. And then they'll get on stage and they'll just kill it. And then the other will happen where they're like, okay, in rehearsal, you're like, well, they'll probably get better when they get on stage because they weren't that great in rehearsal and then they'll get on stage and they'll be even way worse. It's because you can't simulate what happens on a stage in front of people where you can't simulate the way that energy moves through a band and moves through a crowd. Well, when I get, when you, when I get on stage, I get scared. Like you're in front of people and I have this fear that I'm not going to be entertaining or somebody's not going to like what I do. And then I'm going to die. And you don't have that fear in rehearsal. Right. In rehearsal, there's none of that. You're just, especially if you know all the people that are in the room. Well, that, that wave that Colin Quinn's talks about, it's not hitting you in rehearsal. When Colin Quinn's doing his new routine in front of his mirror, that oh, wave yeah. isn't hitting him. You know, it's not until you get on stage when that happens. Dude, I have this, uh, I have this nightmare where I'm a comedian and I've just, my special just came out on TV and I've, I'm starting to realize, and this cold, clammy fear is coming over me that I'm like, oh, shit, I've got to come up with a new, a whole hour worth of jokes. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Dude, the idea. So I talked about this last episode about this guy, Henry Phillips, and he writes these amazingly funny songs. But I'm like, man, if your whole deal was writing funny songs, and you could only write funny songs, you couldn't write serious songs. Dude, what a corner to paint yourself into. And that's what comedians do. They have to be funny. Yeah, that's the whole point. I mean, there's there's occasionally someone like Bill Hicks who well, who really never really broke. I mean, he never really broke through, but he could he could have a stretch where he wasn't necessarily being funny, but he was saying such deep shit about life that you're like, okay. That wasn't a bit, that wasn't like a jokey joke, but he just said a bunch of true shit about being alive and I'm going to, and I edified because of it. But how rare is that, that you get a guy, I mean, even George Carlin, who'd be the next closest thing to Bill Hicks, he was funny more than he was profound. He was still real goddamn funny all the time. Well, have you ever seen Three Mics by Neil Brennan? No. So I think that's on Netflix, but he's the guy that co-wrote the Chappelle show with Dave Chappelle. Mm, brilliant show. And so he sets up three mics on stage. One's for one-liner jokes. The other one's for story jokes. And then the middle one's just for stories that hmm. aren't jokes. And so he just moves between the three mics. He'll spend five minutes on the joke mic, five minutes on the story joke mic, and then he'll get in the middle and be like talking about like, you know, some real heavy shit. And by the end of the show, you just can't wait for him to get to that middle mic. Which one's the middle again? The middle mic is the one where he's not telling any jokes. Oh, he's yeah, just right, telling right. stories about some real shit. You can get away with that. It's, su- it's such a great yeah. idea. But you, can, you have to earn that space, though, by crushing it in the other two mics, though. Because, you know what I mean? You can't, you can't just be a guy that's like, I'm going to tell some stories now. Because me and you are going, who the fuck are you? I don't care about your fucking story. Your story better fucking it better be, be good. funny. It better be good. Dude, if you're telling a story and it's not funny, go fuck yourself. 
Because guess what I've got? Limited time on the planet. And you're a dude and I'm a dude. So go fuck yourself. You and I have been talking about that for so many years now of like, just please, if you're gonna, when the, because the thought occurs to all of us, things occur all the time. You right. and I have a thing that goes, is that funny? And if the, it doesn't ring that bell, we don't really say it. It is amazing to me how many people do not have that mechanism. And a lot of those people start podcasts. Dude, I'm amazed by people. You know, there are people that I would say, except for comedians, people that are the most successful in the world aren't funny at all. Well, because people are like sincere. Who's that guy? And another one, DJ. What's his name? I don't know. And another one. He just, he's a DJ. He just produces like the most, he's a big guy. DJ. Fuck. I don't What's know. What, just tell me what he does. I'm just going to Google DJ and his name is going to come up. DJ. Khalid. Khalid. Oh, really? It is him. I was just guessing because I've heard that name, but I don't know who he is. So DJ Khalid, that dude will speak. And he will not say a thing that's funny, like nothing that's funny. And that dude is huge. And I'm like, what is that? What is that? I think if you took a comedian, let's say there was a comedian like one of your pals in Austin. And I and we look at them and say, you have to write an hour of jokes because I don't you and I've talked about this. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show, though, but like I've tried to write five minutes of stand up before. Just to see if I could do it. And if Dude, I, that shit is impossible. And if I thought it was good enough, I was thinking about going to an open mic in Nashville, not telling anybody and just trying it, you know, and bombing. It was so hard to write five minutes because these, it goes by so fast. So to us, writing an hour that's not only to just write the hour, but to write it where it's good and has a flow and an arc and you, and all the timing and all that. But if, but if you pivot that back to them and say, if, dude, we have to write an hour of music to make an album that's got verses, choruses, solos, intros, outros, all the production, how many guitars is it going to be, the keyboard part, the bass line. That seems impossible to them, too. We do impossible seeming things to a lot of other people. I know, but the thing is, like, we, like, yeah, it seems impossible, but it's easy to write songs because they don't have to be funny. But that's how they feel if they're talented at being funny in that way. I remember Woody Allen talking I don't, about that. No, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody thinks that being funny for an hour is easy. The The funniest comedian in the world is just going to go, no, it's hard work. Well, I, I think making an album, a good album's hard work. Well. But again, if I'm, if that's my job, if that's what I'm tasked to do that day, the hard work doesn't seem impossible. It's like, let's get to work. Let's do the work. Yeah, but it's so much easier to get away with bullshit when you're writing music. Like, you can have one great song, and then the rest of the record's bullshit. And then right. people will be like, oh, that's a pretty good record. Whereas <laughs> if it's a comedy record, and there's one joke at the top, and then the rest of it, you never laugh. Yeah. Dude, I don't care who it is. Seinfeld said that. He said, you're being judged, you know, every 10 seconds for an hour. Yeah. You get the laugh from the one joke, and then they're immediately teed up and they need another one they're not right they're not thinking they, about if that they first love laugh. you if they love you they're ready to laugh but if you get like five minutes in and you haven't made them laugh yet they'll start 
Dude, they will start hating you. Yeah. And these are people that love you. Joe Rogan was talking about watching Seinfeld bomb recently. And he was like, that's the beauty of comedy is that one of the greatest living comics proven himself right. for decades. He's like, I watched him bomb recently. And he right. knew he was bombing. The crowd knew he was bombing. And we just were all in it together. <laughs> He's like, that's just the possibilities within comedy. I thought that was pretty cool because it'd be pretty weird for you to bomb a show. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Like you have some shows, you have some shows that are great and some shows that have magic, some shows that feel a little more put on, but musicians rarely bomb shows. Dude, I played that show in Arlington and it was a free show, but there was limited seating. And again, people just want to go out. They want to see music. So we didn't really advertise it on my Facebook or anything, but Arlington, the Levitt Pavilion did. And so all it was 500 seats. So all of those little sections got scooped up immediately. And only a few of them were scooped up by my fans. So I got down there and I did my usual, you know, like cute storytelling, you know, little jokes, being silly. And dude, that audience was fucking ice cold. Now, when the audience <laughs> is ice cold, you've seen it happen with me. Oh, yeah. I'm not stopping. No, no, no. You can't. I'm just going to keep digging until yeah. I find the bodies. Yeah. Anyways, there was no bodies to be found, dude. I just dug myself this hole. I was talking about going back in time. I was saying shit like, oh, I know that wasn't funny now, but 10 minutes ago, you'll think it's real funny. The, the only, shit like that. The only thing I can compare it to- That I thought was pretty funny. I, I bet it- I, I was, Did you do a frunk of it? Because I bet it's pretty cool. There is some funny shit I said, but that audience did was you record not into it? it. I don't know. All right, so check this out. So Metallica's whiskey company called Black & Whiskey got in touch with me and Ethan, the podcast. They were doing a big event at a bar and they were like, hey, we want, you, you know, we, they know about the podcast, which was super cool. And they were like, hey, we want you guys to come and host Metallica trivia for the big thing. They're like, your fans will come, but it'll just be a bunch of Metallica people who get to hear about the podcast. And they're like, we think you guys are hilarious. So it'll be great. And we'll give, we're going to give away some prizes and shit. So me and Ethan are like, cool. We go, we set up a little booth with our t-shirts and shit. And <laughs> right. And a, a, like a Metallica tribute band was playing that night after us. Right. And you know me, man, I'm on the mic. I, ha I was ready to rock. Cause we've done these trivias at our anniversary parties and they're always a big hit. I get up there, man. I'm being funny. I'm talking to the crowd. I'm making jokes. It did not go well, dude. It did not go well. <laughs> and yeah the the only way forward is through dude you can't i couldn't just be like hey i don't want to do this anymore this sucks so right. it just got psychedelic because i thought well i got to get through this it's probably 45 more minutes of this and here we if it's going to be like this here we go and it did it got psychedelic that's the only way you ha can deal with it dude i did a, i did a show i've only done a few shows most of the shows i've done in the last 15 years have all been sympathetic audiences. They're people that know who I am. They know what I do for the most part. I mean, there's always new people that are coming, but they don't really count. I'm talking about the people that come over and over again that are big fans. They love me. Yeah. They're easy. They're, they're they want to laugh. They want to have a good time. They want to be silly. And it's great. But every once in a while I'll play a show. I played this show and it was uh, for this D for this, uh, disc jockey from the 90s and he was having some benefit thing for him and so it was all these bands from the 90s that were playing and 
I had a band in the nineties called Joe Rockhead. And, uh, so we played and it was, I don't know when it was probably 10 years ago. And so now 10 years ago, like people know who I am. They know my name in Austin, not necessarily anywhere else, but in Austin, people know who I am. And it was all these people that used to see me back in the early nineties, like 91, 92, 93. And now they're all older and I don't know what they're doing with their lives, but they all look like they're unhappy. Everybody <laughs> in that audience looked unhappy. They look like they all started out with like, yeah, we're going to conquer the world. And they all got beat the fuck down. And so they're looking at me like I've got some sort of charmed life. Like, you know, I'm dating movie stars. I'm living in the Hollywood Hills. Who knows what they're thinking? But I get up there and I'm like, hey, doing my little jokey jokes. And this audience, dude. We're like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and I was like, God damn. And I, I was feeling that energy that you were feeling. It was like, where people are just like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. And you're like, you know, and if you had the, if I had the wherewithal, if I could go back, it was such a shock for, like, I wasn't expecting it. Probably, like, you weren't expecting it at the at the show. Like, if you did it again, yeah, you would know how to react because you would have. You'd be like, "Oh, I've done this before." I thought for sure we were going to kill. So, yeah, you not, were going to right. Not only was it not that, but I was like right. primed for it to. I, I didn't go into it going, "Well, I don't know what's going to happen. It could right. be good. It could be bad." I went in going, "This is going to kill." <laughs> exactly which is what i went i went in there going oh these people these people haven't seen me in a while yeah they're gonna love me. and you're way better than you were then and they were like go fuck yourself now if i went back right now i could make fun of all of that oh yeah like i yeah, could yeah. talk about it and you'd have the right tools you'd have it. the right tools in the utility belt for that yeah because once you go through that once you're not going unarmed into the same situation. <laughs> no, I had, dude, no. I had a gig one time. It was, it, I was doing radio, radio stations. And some radio station gigs can be the worst gigs of all time. And I had this gig. I show up. And usually you're, you're playing in front of the staff. So that can be like, they'll set up a conference room. They'll put, up, you know, put some chairs out. And that might be 10, 20 people. But they're not your fans. Sometimes they'll bring in fans. You those are real bad because then you meet your fans and you're like, oh, I don't know about this. I've done many of these. They're horrible. So, yeah, they're horrible. So <laughs> so you're kind of used to horrible. But this one time I show up and they're like, okay, we're, you, you ready to play? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, just stand right there. And I'm like in the break room. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. And there's no, there's no seats. There's nothing. And there's like seven or eight people just milling about the break room. And it's like in a hallway. Yeah. <laughs> Like, there's no stage. There's nothing. And they're like, just go ahead and start. And they just go and, and get I'm people. Like, they just what? go get people out of their offices to come just No, like, nobody's getting anybody. Uh. They're just standing around. They're on break because it's like lunch or something. <laughs> nobody announced me. Nobody was like, hey, this is Bob Schneider. They just start playing. And so I start playing and nobody's paying attention. I'm just playing like a fucking lunatic in this hallway with these strangers. And I played like two or three songs and I'm like, okay, I got to go now because I'm going to start crying. Now, if I went back in time to that place, that whole thing's going down real diff. Yeah, for sure. First of all, I'm <laughs> as soon as a guy says, start playing, my first thing is, oh, 
start sucking this dick. Because I'm not playing shit for you fucking <laughs> motherfuckers. Start sucking this dick. Oh, are we done? Great. Bye-bye. You would just have a lot. You'd find a way to make it fun or you wouldn't do it. You know? I, I definitely wouldn't do it. It's right. like a girl who makes out with somebody in high school that didn't want to make out with somebody in high school. If they went back now as an, as an adult, they'd be like, hey, fuck face. Go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like when you're innocent and you think the world is going to go your way. You know, you're not ready for shit like that. It's just an axiom of life that you have to do it to learn what we're talking about. You have to go through the goddamn gauntlet to learn. Every, you cannot learn what we are saying without being on that stage or being in that little break room, which I've done as well, and burning it down and walking out of that room being like, I'm a different person. I I learned something today. Went to school today. Yeah. Forged in fire. Yeah. And all Forged those comedians, fire. man, uh, they, yeah, they know, they know like to get up and do set after set after set of new material is such, it is the, there's no doubt that it is by far the hardest thing you can do in the entertainment. It's industry. the hardest job for sure. Harder than anything. Because again, People either laugh or they don't. Yeah. Now, if they laugh, you're great. And if they're not laughing, even if you're Seinfeld, you're fucked. Dude, we were on tour in LA and we went to the comedy store on a night off on a Monday night. And it it was like their amateur night. And it was one of the funniest nights of my entire life because everyone just did five or 10 minutes. So right. we were there for two, two or three hours. So we saw like 30 comedians, all of them except one guy killed and in between all that bill burr showed up did a set david spade showed up so in between all that all these other real successful people are kind of showing up and milling about but it was mostly just comedians living in la grinding and dude people who try to fuck with comedians they get a little drunk or whatever i'm like you're trying to fuck with someone who died a long time ago oh yeah they, the comedians are the most unrattleable people ever dude crystalia talked about it all the time he goes man i I bombed in some city somewhere and it was such a traumatic experience. He's like talking about dating and stuff and chicks saying no to him or whatever. And he's like, what? <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Like I died in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. So there's nothing you can do. That's even close to that. Right. Right. You're going to say, no, you don't want to go out or whatever it is. I don't know. It's probably a, not the best person to run. No, pretty rough. Now that he's been canceled forever. Pretty rough. Well, listen, we appreciate you out there. We got to go. We got to kick it to the Secret Weekly. But I do want to say a few things. I want to say thanks for listening. If you haven't left us an iTunes review, go do it. And I'll give you a little challenge. Make it colorful. Make it fun. Talk about our heinies. Talk about your heinie. I don't give a yeah, shit. Please mention the word heinie at least once. Give us a five-star review. It really will help us. It, yeah. And uh, we want to keep doing this, and you want us to keep doing this. So it's a way that you can help us keep doing this. And, and, and if you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash IOK. That's where we're at. Everyone has a Patreon now, but that's how it works. That's life. And it really just comes down to about five bucks a month. And it's like buying me and Bob a nice cup of joe. So that's what we'll leave you with. We love hearing from you. Bob and Clint at gmail.com. Write in. Ask us a question. 
if there's a show topic, let us know. And uh, we're going to kick it now to what we lovingly refer to as the Secret Weekly. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>